Hello and welcome to the Earthly Roots podcast where we chat all things gardening, homesteading and connecting to nature. We're your hosts Diane and Robin. The Earthly Roots podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Okay, hello. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode. Before we start today's episode, we just wanted to say a massive thank you mm-hmm. to everyone out there who has been watching and listening the pod- listening to the podcast. It's been really, really great to hear all of your feedback. So heartwarming. It's been yeah. so nice getting people contacting us, letting us know that they're listening to us while they're out in the garden or yeah. cleaning the house, doing chores. I know that's something we, we just dreamt of when we first made this little little idea yeah yeah Yeah, it's cool to see people sharing it on instagram like where they're watching it yeah it's really interesting and just connecting with and building a bit more of a community and seeing more you know australian people kind of talk about their gardens um, and people overseas as well but i feel like it's great to just build a, a local community and yeah, just get some feedback, which yeah. is really great. So thank you so much for everyone who has been watching and listening. We really yeah. appreciate it. And sending so their love and support. It's yeah. yeah, it's been so lovely to take something that used to be an idea and really turn it into this big community that just yeah. keeps growing and growing. Yeah. yeah. So what are we talking about today? Uh, so today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, which is flowers. Mm. I'm very excited today to talk all things flowers. It's going to just be a conversation about a little bit of flower farming mm-hmm. sprinkled into there um, because that's kind of what I'm working on at Can't the help moment. Yourself. I know. It's something you're I proud to. of. Yep. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> exactly. But I feel like we all, as gardeners or most gardeners, do plant a few flowers in the garden and for some plant a lot, others just plant a few but I feel like it's common ground that we do have flowers in the garden it's something we like to enjoy they're beautiful they have so much benefit and yeah yeah it's going to be a great conversation and I think something that a lot of people don't realize um, has a lot of benefit in so many ways more than just beauty or color in your garden like flowers can really benefit your health they can benefit pollinators and creatures around in your garden like birds they can also be really beneficial for you know like purifying your home and making it smell really nice depending on the flowers you pick um and yes so so many other things that flowers can contribute not only outside but also inside the home yeah exactly yeah so are you growing any flowers at the moment in your garden I definitely am. And I'm actually really like this is such a cool conversation to have with you because I feel like you're the one person that inspired me to grow flowers in my garden. Two years ago when I first started gardening, you would always hear me say like, I will never plant flowers. What's the point if I can't eat them? Which, yeah, is so hilarious. They really have. (laughs) While now, every time I plant a vegetable in my garden, 
I plant a flower seed or a few flower seeds and it's just exponentially grown from there. Like there's so many flowers in my garden now and it excites me to see new varieties popping up or some that have self-seeded like borage, which is going insane in our front yard. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So Right now in my garden, I have a few flowers that have kind of been perennials and have stayed there for a while, like um, my nasturtium flowers, Mm -hmm. a lot of the native flowers from around. But I'm also discovering new ones, like um, a lot of my succulents are starting to go to flower at the moment and they're stunning. Yeah, it's cool to see the the cycle of a succulent because Mm -hmm. usually you just kind of think of it as the leaves, but some of their flowers are really amazing and And so colourful. Yeah, 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 that's so cool. Yeah, awesome. I've seen some of your um, your bulbs that have popped up as oh, well. Yes. They're so pretty. Yes, so which cheerful. speaking of bulbs, I will mention mine for a moment, but then we should talk about Floriard because yes. Yes. just last week, Robin and I went to the Floriard Festival, which for those that don't know, is a tulip expo in Canberra that happens every year. And it's massive. I think we took guesses at just how many bulbs were at Floriard, which, mm. by the way, I was you did very win. close. Yes, you did. <laughs> Out of all of us three, you got the closest. Yeah, and it was a million three hundred thousand or somewhere yeah. around there, which is insane to think of that many flowers in a fairly small space. I mean, yeah. it was large, but it wasn't like I'm hiking through a f- massive field and feeling exhausted no. by the end. So, yeah. We'll come back to that in a moment, but I did recently, uh, so in autumn time or winter time, I planted some bulbs into my garden for the first time and I bought them as like a clearance sale, like a box of just random bulbs and it was just what they had left. And I was like, cool, I've never done this before. I have no idea what colors they are, what varieties they are, but we'll just give it a go. And so I planted them into this beautiful little spot at the front of the garden and now that they're coming up, I'm realizing just how much I have fallen in yeah. love with flowers and color. That's so good. Yeah, they're so pretty. I think sometimes the surprise of flowers mm-hmm. is what pe- what gets people hooked, I think. Yes. Yeah. Like- Especially when you don't know what they will really look like. Like you yeah. can get a sense of what it might look like from a picture or what other people have posted, but it can react really differently in your garden. Like, have you ever had flowers where you expected one thing and then maybe got something completely different or a pleasant surprise? Yeah. Well, I mean, like you, I kind of, I did like a mix of bulbs and Mm. that was so fun to figure out what colors were, were in the mix. So all of my ranunculus, which are sadly dying now, but they have been so pretty and I've picked so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like a, like a rainbow of, of colour and it was just, just amazing. That sounds stunning. Yeah. Didn't you take them to a nursing home and do like a little yeah. workshop? Yeah, I did. Tell with... me more about that. I haven't heard about yeah. that yet. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's one reason why I started the flower farm because um, – my Alma loves flowers yeah. and this is this is her home that we're living in, we're renting and she used to grow a lot of flowers in the backyard and nothing brings, nothing gives her more joy than seeing flowers. So it's so beautiful. Yeah. So that's something that I've wanted to do for a while and also because she has dementia. So okay. yeah. she's kind of in the later stages of dementia, which is a terrible thing and you know, is something that I'm really passionate about kind of sharing what it is and which is just, you know, different for everyone, but it's often trauma-based. 
So when you can have something that focuses someone who has dementia, it's really amazing to see them go back in time a little bit and they start to remember what their life was like and all of the colors just bring that happiness, which is really nice. I think it's even more special coming from her granddaughter. Like that's a really powerful (laughs) thing that you are doing for your Oma. Yeah, yeah, she she really loves it. So I, I brought in a, a bucket for them all and we just put the flowers in water, sat in a, in a little table and did that. And it's just amazing to see all of these patients or these um, yeah, patients in the nursing home who I had never spoken to or they never really said words to me before mm-hmm. because th- that's just what the nature of their dementia is. And then to see them all light up and like... Wow tell me stories about their childhood and things like that oh wow it was amazing how much memory these flowers were bringing back to them and I don't know it was something that I'm interested to learn a little bit more research wise like what it actually does um what these natural colors can do for our memories and bring you back to childhood because smell and you know colors is such a Uh, I don't know, engaging thing to look at and to remember. And I feel like everyone has a good memory about flowers. Yeah, I I definitely do. There's certain scents like that when I smell them again or I see a certain flower like a lilac, Mm. it instantly reminds me of my mum because she would have that particular flower and no other flower in her house every time. And Yeah. yeah, so that's so special that you're able to reconnect people with memories that they've lost completely almost or Mm. which they have forgotten about and they can relive it almost like that they are there in that moment again. Yeah. That's so special. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So Floriad. Floriad was amazing. It was so great to see all of all of that colour. It was yeah. a bit of a rainy day, but still, you know, the colour was there to brighten the mood I agree. a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. what was your favourite combination of flowers at Floriad and how is it different from what you replicate or do in your own garden? So different to the garden here. Yeah. Um, mainly because tulips actually... I find them really hard to grow here. I think because we are right on the coast and also our soils are really, they have high clay content. Mm -hmm. The tulips just failed. They just didn't. No, they weren't happy. You said they were short, didn't you? They were really short, yeah. And I think that's due to them not getting that chill factor that they need. And I know you can put um, bulbs in the fridge or the freezer to to get that chill factor but mm-hmm. it doesn't compare to, to an area that naturally gets say frosts or cooler temperatures like yeah. I feel like you may have a little bit more colder temperatures where you're living Perhaps. up on the hill yeah it's really mild here like we hardly ever get frosts um and if they are they're not in the areas where the tulips were planted so maybe mm. I can plant them there differently next year but um do you think it could have had something to do with where you source them from as well though because you said something about they had to have that chill factor and if they weren't stored that way but by the company you bought them from could that potentially have an impact once you put them into your ground I mean of course your soil will have a huge impact too but well, I hope not because they were really expensive. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I, I think they were already pre-chilled and stored okay. in the correct conditions. Yeah. Well, that's what the brochure said. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think... You should do an experiment, find probably. out from a different company as well and see what yeah. happens. Yeah. No, I think it's just the climate here. It's not uh, yeah. It's not cold enough. But we can grow other bulbs like 
uh, the anemones did really well mm-hmm. and the ranunculus daffodils they did really well yeah. i didn't even realize how many ranunculus you had planted until they all started flowering yeah it was like over 100 and yeah. and they're going to multiply now you said so hopefully Ooh. yeah <laughs> so knowing that your ranunculus are going to multiply do you have a new spot that you're going to plant them in or are you just going to let it become fuller mm. yeah so i think next year uh, when I plant them in autumn again, which is when I planted these ones here, I think I, I want to move them to more of a big row so that I can use it and apply it more with the flower farm. Mm-hmm. So, cool. yeah, currently they were just in my kind of kitchen style cottage garden, which I have a lot of herbs and veggies that I grow, but I would like to move to more a flower farm row style yeah, so that I can um, just kind of um, – like know how many I'm planting and have it a little bit more drawn out and planned Yeah, because it's going to be really beneficial when I'm harvesting to not have to like reach over to pick them. I can just pick them in a nice neat row and it can be a lot more productive. Yeah. Which so is does that yeah. streamline the process of them being yeah. able to harvest them and use them? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So for where they were now, the row was just too wide. So I was finding I was missing the ones towards the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with all of this rain that we've had, I had to be really on top of picking them when they were ready, which is something that I'm learning about flowers is that there's so many different times not to pick flowers if you really? want to do cut flowers. Yeah. Can you can you expose us to some of that yeah. knowledge? Because <laughs> I will just cut them whenever I want them. Yeah, so. which is fine to do. Like yeah. if you're just, you know, making a little posy or you're just enjoying it at home but if I want to sell them and have them last for a long time Mm -hmm. it's called conditioning so you need to condition the flower uh, in a certain way so that it'll last longer in water interesting yeah so there's so many different ways that you can do this and I'm still learning I've learned a lot from from YouTube and books but I have been cutting them more so in the morning, so really mm-hmm. early in the morning, uh, and that's when the plant is also just the least stressed, mm-hmm. so it's fully hydrated from the night as well. Yeah, and then towards the morning and the later morning and into noon, um, the plant gets more and more stressed as mm-hmm. it goes on, so it'll lose moisture, it will fully open the petals as well, be more open to pollination. Uh, And with flowers that I would like to pick for cut flowers, I want the flowers actually not to be very pollinated. Mm -hmm. Um, If it is pollinated, then it's going to last a lot less time in the vase oh interesting is that because it's transforming into its next phase pretty much yeah so it's um it's fully opening uh you can also have then pollen fallout which Mm -hmm. doesn't it doesn't look as nice Mm -hmm. and these are some things that I never really knew about like I don't I don't really care for myself what what it looks like but but I need it because you love flowers yeah I need it to to travel well so yeah I've been cutting in the morning making sure I have really sharp snips Uh, and then putting it straight into water Mm -hmm. and often I will put it in that morning and then use it the next day so Mm -hmm. I'll let it have that kind of 24 hours to fully hydrate in water Mm -hmm. in a in clean buckets um, and then I'll play with it the next day so Mm -hmm. it'll have uh, some time outside of uh, it's natural habitat, I suppose. It's it's not in the ground anymore. So the plant needs to figure out how to take that water up and any wow. nutrients that might be in the water or the air um, and then, you know, 
be fully hydrated again Mm -hmm. because a lot of them will just flop right over. I was going to say that would probably be a really great way to experiment and find out what flowers will work really well in a bouquet or in flower arrangements and what flowers just won't survive even that first 24 hours. Um, Have you found that you've been able to – like do you base a lot of the flowers that you grow and the knowledge that you have off what you've seen or have you been also taking the time to just experiment with putting more mm. random varieties or more native varieties that you may not have heard about in mm. maybe American flower farmer gardens? Yeah, well, with a lot of the natives, I've just been experimenting. Yeah. So picking them uh, at different times of the day. So while you can pick early in the morning, you can also pick later in the evening or later at night. More so in the cooler times of the year, summer, sometimes it's just too hot in the afternoon anyway, Mm -hmm. and I'd probably do it in the morning. Um, But yeah, things like all of the native like bottle brush leaves, I use a lot of those in um, arrangements. Yeah. And there's so many varieties. I was talking Mm -hmm. to Scott about that earlier before we were, when we were setting up the podcast, because I went and I tried to propagate a lot of my native plants and Mm. the bottle brush was one of them. But every time that I went to a new bottle brush plant, I noticed the leaves were just so different or like the little nuts on them would be um, just slightly bigger or smaller in the flower petals as well. Yeah. Yeah, and other, other than bottle brush, there's grevilleas. Mm-hmm. I love grevillea leaves, banksia leaves, uh, native fern as well. So these well, are all the that. foliage type yeah, yeah, that I've been experimenting with. Uh, and I have a lot of native uh, flower plants, plants, flower, whatever you want to call it, um, <laughs> planted in the ground. They're yeah. just really young at the moment, so yeah. they haven't reached that stage when they are flowering. But... Like I love to use thryptamine, um, any kind of leptospermum or like smaller um, le- smaller leaves and smaller flowers look really great in, yeah. in arrangements. We'll have to put up, yeah. I think, um, on the YouTube channel as we're talking mm. about these different varieties of flowers. As you mentioned names, I would love to have maybe pictures yeah, of what the varieties look like because that's something I know as a beginning flower delverintura. <laughs> We'll just come up with all these random names for us. But as I'm starting to learn more about flowers and be exposed to more varieties, it really helps me to be able to see them visually before they go into the ground or Mm -hmm. into the garden. So I think that will really help hopefully our audience and our listeners as well for those that are checking out our YouTube channel. (laughs) Yep. And I'll also, we'll try and post a little bit more on Instagram about the, the, what we're um, talking about and Mm -hmm. some more informative things over there as well. But yeah, there is so many to choose from. Like there's just there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of different flowers out there. Yeah. And I love to incorporate both natives and um, annuals and non-natives into the garden to use in the flower farm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, natives, we are so lucky in Australia to have so many beautiful flowers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know you um, mentioned before that you've got your grevilleas and bottle brush was it yes so we've got so many bottle brush trees around I actually discovered that where we record the podcast um at my place we are actually sitting underneath a white bottle brush tree 
Nice. For so long, I thought it was one of the tea tree plants that had just grown grown crazy. Yeah. And so I was kind of hating on it for a while. (laughs) And then this season. Yeah, you do have a lot of tea tree around. We do. We've got a very swampy area at the bottom of our property that Mm. it just propagates itself like crazy because tea tree not only spreads seeds, but it also has like roots under the ground that um, almost like a raspberry plant that just keeps sending up shoots. Yeah. But yes, that tree that we sit underneath has white bottle brush flowers and they're just stunning. I have a new love and appreciation (laughs) for that beautiful little tree. Um, But yeah, the grevillea is doing really well as well. It has this beautiful striking pink and red color throughout Mm. the property. Um, And I'm also noticing some other wildflowers that are popping up around the place as well, which is things like poppies that are wild sown around the area. Um, We've got wildflowers, which are probably not a great thing. So I've been pulling those out. Um, I think they're more bad for the farmers rather than... Yeah, there are a lot of much. invasive flowers around, yeah. um, which, you know, are nice to see and they, they do benefit pollinators to an extent, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of invasive flowers around. Yeah, which it's is really something touch and go hey, with flowers sometimes. Yeah. With weed flowers anyways, because there yeah. is so much beauty and, like, it's so whimsical to go out in your garden and walk amongst the grass or the clover and see the little wild flowers, whether they are from the clover or that they're other different types of weeds. But, yeah, unless you know a bit more about flowers and which ones are invasive and which ones aren't, um, yeah. it's really hard to tell what to keep and what not to. Yeah, and yeah. that's something that I like some flowers and plants around here that aren't invasive where I used to live. They're invasive here. So I've oh, been okay. – yeah, like wow. I've been really um, – you know, checking every time I plant a plant, whether it is invasive, because mm-hmm. yeah, I, ha- I had no idea that some plants like the, the butterfly bush, I, th- I know that's a really popular um, flower around is a little bit more invasive around this area. Okay. And same with a lot of other species. So I've been really mindful lately to just check online what it because is, yeah. it's um, a lot of nurseries will actually be selling weeds and wow. flowers that aren't actually beneficial to your area so I'd always recommend just doing your own research and looking up um, maybe native alternatives if if it even is classed as like slightly weedy or 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 not because it it can be really detrimental to the ecosystem and I know we have we have weeds in our garden that are really established and it's quite hard to get rid of them now (laughs) really which is a bit annoying weed yeah have you seen those they have those beautiful striking pink flowers but they're so spiky (laughs) yeah we have uh, horrible like oleanders around and I love the names of flowers they just sound yeah. so wonderful <laughs> dude there's a lot of cool flower names yeah but yeah it's cool just to just be kept keeping that in mind um because a lot of flowers uh, are really beneficial to pollinators and it's yes. something that I really like to talk about yes we can maybe talk a little bit about pollination and yep. what it is and keep on talking about the flower farm as well eventually yeah Um, well one thing like after I started really getting into flowers the next thing that really drove that home was bees yeah we we um we had this hakea tree I'm only just learning how to say the word properly because we've been calling it hakea for so long sounds cool though I think so too but anyways (laughs) the hakea tree um gets a lot of beautiful white flowers over the winter time Mm. um and 
closer into springtime and that's when the bees love that tree and Mm -hmm. so you hear all this buzzing happening in the tree and it sounds so beautiful and a lot of people have fear of bees and I Mm -hmm. think it's just they have a misunderstanding of what their purpose is and you know how when you hear a fly you have this urge to just shoo it away yeah but when you do that to a bee you often hear stories of people getting stung and um getting bothered by bees but a lot of the time like if you're hitting something away from you of course it's going to get a little bit cranky i would (laughs) me too (laughs) i did actually used to be really scared of bees really i have been stung before so i know i'm not allergic thankfully but now i've kind of shifted my my thinking around it and now i walk around them thinking like look guys i'm providing you all with all this food so you have to love me i like, know be and, friends with them <laughs> and I, I heard this thing once of like if a bee lands on you like don't have any fear that bee just thinks you're as pretty as a flower exactly. i mean they've mistaken you for Beautiful. a flower that's the only reason they've landed on you that's yeah. all they're looking for yeah but yeah so that Hakea tree was buzzing with bees but what was different about it from any other time is that it was buzzing with bees Mm. and we soon found out that the reason it was was because there was a swarm of bees up above us and it was like this cloud of black bees and the noise was deafening it was so incredible I actually captured it on video um, and it was back when we had our pigs but they eventually landed like around the queen on one of the branches of the Hakea tree. And that was the moment that Sam and I were like, okay, do we get them? Like, do we want to have bees? (laughs) And just from like this slow obsession with flowers and color and the sound of the bees and just that beauty of sitting out in the garden and having like a little bee just fly by you or land on a flower and you see them like dance around in that pollen and get their whole little bodies covered up. Uh, And yeah, so the obsession with bees started there. We didn't end up catching that swarm, unfortunately, but about a week later or a few days later after we got all of the things and we were ready to go, another swarm had become available. And so now we have bees, which is great. Yeah. I love them. Yeah. Um, but now anytime I'm in my garden around the flowers, whether they're vegetable flowers or they're just ornamental flowers that I've planted into my garden um, and I see the little bees on them, mm. I look down and I'm like, that's my bee. Yeah. You know, like that's that so bee's cute. giving me honey. That bee is helping yeah. my vegetables to grow. Mm. Um, and bees aren't the only pollinators out in the garden. Mm. Um, you probably experience a lot more variety in pollinators Mm. out in the garden. So what others have you seen kind of getting attracted to different flowers or have you noticed any flowers that the bees especially love? Yeah, well, I have seen a lot of pollinators, different pollinators around. The main ones generally are honeybees around here, but I've noticed lately there's been a lot of, um, they're called hoverflies. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which are a native bee, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And they're really cool and not scared of those. So that's all good. Um, But also uh, little native bees. And I I can't remember what they're called, but they're the native stingless bees. Yeah. Might be what they're they're called. Which a lot of people mistake them for flies. Yeah. Yeah. They've actually been coming into the house a lot. I don't know. Are they the ones that fly yeah in squares those are so irritating i must say weird yeah (laughs) i mean they're really cute but um yeah they just seem to i think they just like coming inside because it's dry at the moment in here yeah so a lot of those and i i have been finding the the different size of the pollinator wasps as well i've seen some of Mm -hmm. them around there also 
really important for pollinating. Which they're a bit scary. Like I love yeah. bees and I'm I'm not obsessed with flies, but I understand yeah. that the ones that fly, that they're native, but yes. wasps are a whole other kettle of fish. And I wonder if it's again back to that misunderstanding of what that bug really does want in life, but just stories. Yeah, yeah I've been stung by three wasps at once. Wow. And it's now that I think back at it, like I was being really loud and stomping around and whatever, and it, it would have just scared them. And yeah. it's all just remembering how to respect an animal in the way that it wants to be respected and wow. you should be fine. But, um, yeah, there's there's been lots of activity in the garden, which is cool. And I have been noticing that different pollinators prefer different flowers. Mm-hmm. So ones that are really popular right now, the, I mean, the ranunculus, there, there's so many bees around them. The pollen mm. on that is crazy. But the ones that have probably brought in the most um, pollinator activity have been the brassicas that have gone to seed. Okay, wow, yeah. Yeah, so all the radish that went to seed, um, the broccoli, cabbage, any of those yeah. they have quite small flowers but they're just packed with pollen yeah so i've been noticing a lot of smaller pollinators preferring those which is really incredible because mm. those types of plants used to be your vegetables which maybe you just had an abundance yeah. of or are at the end of their harvest so just the fact that you left them to go to flower for the bees is incredible and that didn't take you any extra effort or seeds Mm. or money you literally took something that would have been a waste product I mean you know you can put in the compost pile but yeah at the end of a vegetable's life you would normally cut down that plant and then that's it yeah but just that simple element of leaving it in the garden to go to that next stage is so impactful for the bees because they do prefer those little flowers don't they yeah and that's why um so while bottle brush and um what's the other one grevilleas those Mm -hmm. bigger um pollen filled nectar filled flowers are really important other natives are also really important. So mm-hmm. we, we kind of refer to those a lot and, you know, recommend to plant those if we want more pollinator activity and bird mm-hmm. activity. But there are so many other smaller little flowers that might not put on as much of a, a show as these that are really yeah. important to um, maintain diversity and um, support smaller pollinators yeah. and smaller birds as well because they also play a really big part in in pollination yeah and you want to encourage those pollinators into your garden if you want a healthy thriving garden if you want low bug pressure I mean you want to be inviting others into the garden even if it might mean every now and again you get some birds that might eat more of your fruit or veggies than you had hoped but a lot of the time they are there to add a lot of benefit into your garden as well um and I'm not sure what I was listening to. It must have been another podcast, but they were talking about having flowers like amaranth um, Mm. and other similar flowers planted in your garden, which attract birds because they've Mm -hmm. got grain for them. But that being almost like a disguise or a detour for the birds so that instead of going for your other fruits and veggies, they're going to the flowers in your garden and like the grain seeds as opposed to going in, let's say eating your broccoli or tomatoes or Mm. whatever else so I'm really looking forward to incorporating more of those into the garden and I mean even right now I have flowers at the back of my garden I have like a whole big section dedicated to that and then I've got little 
places here and there for flowers as well. But I'm really curious to see because this is going to be the first year that the whole back section of the garden will be in flowers. Yeah. Whether that has an impact on all the tomatoes that I've planted as well and if the birds and um, all the other creatures are naturally uh, drawn over there Mm. rather than the veggies. Yeah, because a lot of – yeah, I mean a lot of vegetables depend on pollination. Mm -hmm. I actually have some facts here that I wanted to share because pollination is something that I'm really interested in because it's going downhill right now. And I think that um, as gardeners, we can really improve the situation yeah. by encouraging pollinators in our garden. It's it's a service or an ecosystem service that um, is so important to our health and our livelihood yeah. in terms of food production. But apparently, um, and a lot of people might know this already, but... Well, I don't, so tell me. Okay, well, <laughs> three out of four crops, they depend on pollination. Wow. But only one third of crop production depends on that. So that means that three out of four kind of of all of the plants that we might consume Mm -hmm. need pollination. But a lot of them don't like grains and um, some legumes and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But still one third is quite a lot. It is a lot. I mean, that's all your tomatoes, your cucumbers, your broccoli. I mean, all the things that you love and probably have the most of in your diet comes uh, yeah. needs to be pollinated sorry it's yeah. just it sounds like your grains that don't which yeah only and makes up a portion of your diet yeah and things like um so things like melons if you want to grow melons or mm-hmm. pumpkins or zucchini they all really depend on having that pollination activity yeah. which you can do by yourself like you can pollinate flowers that's hard work depending yeah, on how is. big your garden it's kind is of fun though <laughs> getting all busy in there but you're being a little bee dressed exactly, up like a little yeah. bee out there <laughs> yeah I can imagine it I love seeing um during squash season or like the pumpkin growing season seeing just how many bees fit into those giant yeah. flowers because oh, so you see cool. one of them jump in there and you go oh cool I just want to check out what it's getting up to and then yeah. all of these bees are just having a party in there yeah I love their little pollen sacks like they fill <laughs> up on the sides of them yes. like, you could be able to fly away with all that yeah it's even worse seeing them land in the hive afterwards because they're all just crashing into the hive after like (laughs) this long flight some of them don't make it onto the little entrance they fall to the ground and then shake themselves off and come (laughs) back up it's yeah i love seeing all the variety in color that comes out from the pollen yeah like there's the oranges the yellow it looks like they've got little cheetos on their feet But uh, did you know yeah. that you can actually get pollen in colours like blue and black really? as well? I didn't yeah. know that. Although I have seen some black, but oh yeah. Boy, so the blue comes from wildflowers. Mm-hmm. So not wildflowers, sorry. Um, what I just said it before. They're an invasive weed for the farmers. Um, thistles? Or? No, not the thistles. Puppies? Or? No, no like they're the little yellow flowers that pop up in the fields and you've got to pull them out when... Uh, fireweed. Fireweed, yeah, yeah. So okay. fireweed yeah. is one of the plants that when the bee gets the pollen from them, it turns blue in the hive. That's so I've so never cool. actually, yeah, I've never actually mm. seen a bee come out with like blue sacks on their legs, but I have seen it in the um, honeycomb. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it was incredible. The first time I was like, oh, is this a disease? Like, yeah. is something wrong with my bees? And then I yeah, found that cool. out. Interesting. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. What other oh, well, facts that's... do you have? Well, that was kind of it, but no. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> well, I love just it. more so the fact that if 
that should be well it is some incentive to plant mm-hmm. flowers in the garden because um in the research world we can't actually really keep up with what is actually happening to pollinators in terms of research it's really hard to keep up with research mm-hmm. Because land is being cleared so quickly. Mm-hmm. So clearing even just, you know, a large area of land, um, there could be really important pollinators in there for the entire area. Yeah. And we might not know those effects of clearing that land for like 50 years or so, depending on yeah. um, if we actually do research on it or not. But there are certain areas in the world where pollinators are declining more so particularly where there's broad-scale agriculture and monoculture uh, because they just don't have that diversity or there's one pollinator which then overtakes all of the other ones yeah which honeybees can actually be i mean they are an invasive well they're not invasive but i mean they are not a natural species to the area and a lot of the time honeybees take the place of native bees um in tree hollows if a honeybee colony goes and colonizes that then they've taken that away from a potential native species and i think that's where us as beekeepers are benefiting in a way because we're containing them as long as we're being responsible we're able to keep them in this home that is as unnatural as they are to our environment and by preventing swarms from happening and being responsible and taking care of your bees, looking after their health, you're able to keep those honeybees, which are still very important to all of these introduced crops that we have, like our tomatoes and our cucumbers, which aren't native either. Mm -hmm. Um, And we need those honeybees for that. But it's important, as you said, to also be aware that there are so many other pollinators, bee Mm -hmm. species out there that are native and still need a variety of flowers flowers and plants that we can support them with um one really good idea for this that i've heard recently i'm just all these things that i've heard recently (laughs) it's just perfect perfect for the podcast i know but one thing that i heard um and something that i'm trialing out in my garden is leaving a patch of wildflowers and weeds to just go to their full maturity Mm. um and so i kind i've been sectioning off mostly it's been clover but there's other things that i'm not quite sure the names of like mix into that and especially finding the spots where your bees are attracted like all of the hoverflies and the blue bees and all the other ones that you're seeing and just let them have that chance to have those flowers especially in winter and springtime when the other flowers around aren't growing yet or the rains are coming down and the pollen isn't as likely to stay on the petals or the flowers or yeah where does the pollen stay I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we're not biologists here. No, no, we're not. I'm not a scientist and I'm far from it, but that's okay. Um, but, yeah, just having like a little wildflower patch in yeah. your garden and you can really make this a beautiful feature, like maybe put some logs around it or yeah. um, even like not a cage but like put up like some – almost like a gazebo type of look to it. Like make it a beautiful feature in your garden. If you have a spot that's especially crowded by pollinators and bees, like make that the spot and just, yeah, the more pollinators you have in your garden, the more excitement you'll get for going outside and in that space too. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Yeah. And I think with the flower farm, although a lot of the flowers that I want to harvest or pick, I will pick them pre-pollination hopefully but a lot of them I will leave to go because I'd also like to collect seeds and that's important for me as well so 
And that's it. Having yeah, that variety having is important. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, going back to Floriard before as well, we, mm. we mentioned a little bit about how there were a lot of tulips, but there were a lot of other varieties of uh plants planted within that as well and I found out that those little flowers that we saw planted throughout were everlasting daisies so they picked everlasting daisies which I could be wrong but I'm pretty sure there's some that are native to Australia but a lot are native to Africa yeah there's a few native here but yeah I think different types yeah there's a very similar climate over there so yeah so which is really cool Mm. so it goes back to the point that you can integrate flowers together that have similar colors or contrasting colors and I'd really like to talk about color next Mm. and that variety Mm -hmm. and how you can bring out certain colors together in a garden um but it was really impactful seeing those different colors and different varieties of flowers working together, the different heights of them as well. But then coming back and thinking about that importance that even they showed of not only feeding the honeybees, but being able to feed all of the native pollinators as well mm. and just encourage life yeah. into that space. Yeah. So um, as far as colors and textures Mm. what kinds of tips or experiences do you have with color and texture in flower gardens not a lot of experience more so like I doubt that well I haven't looked into it a lot but Mm -hmm. there are lots of color wheels that you can look at if you're unsure what color might go with another one color wheels are a great way to start Mm -hmm. and also just playing around like one of my favorite combinations is just choosing pastel colors like they're they're really safe to go with yeah that's love beautiful pastel. yeah so lots of pastel pinks and purples which you can find a lot mm-hmm. of different varieties of them go really great with a pastel green yeah so that's my favorite combination um i'm looking at it now because we have a little flower like arrangement here I love just this put yeah. together. but purple and yellow go really great together yep. well That's those are we contrasting colors yeah. same with uh red and green yep. orange and blue purple and yellow um i think they're the main ones yeah and then you can have other things like uh once you go into like the color wheel for sure i think a yeah. really fun activity for anyone who's feeling a bit artistic or just wanting to find out a little bit more about color theory is to get some paints out yeah, and look up around. a color wheel yeah and actually mix those colors together and figure out which ones draw your eye yeah and i think that's a really good place to start when planning out a garden but i think you can also have a lot of just experimentation and come across combinations that you didn't realize worked because it's all personal preference as well like I mean I personally don't really love orange and the contrasting flowers like I I just don't really love the color of them I don't know why but I think I just prefer the pastels like purples Mm and um, lighter colors but some people absolutely love red and orange. Yeah. So it's not like I'm not going to be growing those. But personally, I, I have a very different taste yeah. in what I like in a well, bouquet. See, orange flowers, I'm a bit like you. I've always had this thing where I just don't like orange things. I don't like orange mm-hmm. lollies. I don't like the <laughs> color orange. I don't like orange clothes. Do you like oranges? Um, no. Oh, okay. No, they're okay. okay. <laughs> I don't like mandarins though. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that's way off topic. But 
what I do like in my garden, even though I don't like orange flowers, sometimes when I get like a mix of different flower colors, I will naturally get orange colors. Like calendula flowers come in orange. Yes. Marigolds very often come in orange. Mm. And so I found that something that I've really enjoyed doing in my garden is dedicating a space for those orange flowers and then finding ways to really enhance them. So where I have a lot of purple flowers planted in my garden, having those little orange flowers popping up is actually really pleasant. But alongside just the color, having the different heights and textures. So like you have like the, the marigold bushes compared to like your salvias, which are really like tall and purple and seeing those together. Yeah is so striking yeah I think that's something I've learned in the cottage garden is having clumps of flowers and although I might not like the plant as an individual or not not like like I love all plants but I have favorites of course Um, and we all do yeah favorite children favorite plants (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I've noticed having clumps of them but having those clumps spread out Mm -hmm. and having minimal like well I mean, I have a lot of diversity, but not going crazy on diversity, Mm -hmm. like always having a few plants of the same type in a garden. It really can bring it all together and shape it all together because then your eye, if you're thinking about orange or you're looking at an orange thing, it'll immediately go to all the other orange things in the garden. Yeah. So if it's spread it out in a way, if it's, you know, spread out in a way that you like or is a little bit more kind of you can do formal or more wild, Mm -hmm. your eyes will naturally be drawn to them. And so many people always ask about like, how do you design a garden? And that's something we could do a whole episode on. I would love that. I'd be so curious. I'm like not an expert, but I love like... No, but you have personal experience and that's important. But I've only just learned this though, that using those clumps and um, not quite having you know a design on paper but just using your eye to naturally see where it's drawn in the garden and then you might find a little spot that your eye is not going to and then just adding another plant of what you've already got in there Mm -hmm. will just make the garden seem a lot older than it is and a Mm -hmm. lot more brought together and whimsical and whatever you want to go for but um yeah I'm gonna take that and use that I'm just gonna go stand in my (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on my homestead with all of the grass everywhere. Mm. <laughs> Find some space. <laughs> all the things that I can add. Yeah. But colour is is amazing. And, I mean, having kind of also colour with, you know, um, flowers but also foliage because some flower mm. plants have great foliage. Oh, the purple yeah. leaves or the silver yeah. leaves that some foliage has is stunning. Yeah. And having something, and I learned this from Garden Answer, who's one of my favourite YouTubers, Laura, mm-hmm. But having something that's blue, something that's red, and something that's a little bit more um, yellow will automatically bring a garden together. The primary as well. colors, yeah, interesting. So having bluish, whether it's um, like cornflowers are a great mm-hmm. blue flower because I always struggle with what flower is blue, but there are a lot of more blue, bluey purple flowers, and mm-hmm. I love cornflowers for that. Yeah, um, and then having some gorgeous. red, even though I don't love red, but having more burgundy red. Yeah, I, I love I love that. But you can have red like red roses. You can have exactly. red bottle brush. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So having all those colors together can really bring a garden together. 
and you know I have veggies into interspersed with that mm-hmm. um and I just think flowers are just so versatile that yeah you can always chuck a few here and there in in your rows or to yeah. break up a row or something like yeah, that. yeah I do I do really love them too so I wonder with your ranunculus ranunculus <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh. you can tell which words are new to me because it takes me a moment to say them with those beautiful flowers that are in abundance in your garden <laughs> I know that a lot of them are very colourful. You have so many different colours. Do you have a plan on possibly separating the colours, especially if you're going to replant them in rows? Not for those. They'll have a really big colourful mix. Mm -hmm. That'll offer just doing rainbow bunches because they look really great. But then I would like to branch out and get some more specialty varieties. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I've been loving the pastel pink or cream colors yeah again I just love those and peachy colors you've been drawn yeah. to some of those too I've definitely seen. Yeah, yeah I love those and when I have more specialty ones they will be planted um, together in, mm-hmm. in clumps but I also want the flower farm to just be a lovely area for me to walk through yeah. I don't want it to be super rigid rows of one thing here and there I want it to be just a mix and and a beautiful colorful mix yeah so I will be planting um yeah just random colors around just to keep it interesting yeah Yeah. and touching on the calendula flower so I want to also talk about the benefits that flowers have as far as beauty Mm self-care and at home so calendula is one of those really perfect examples of a flower that's not only beautiful and beneficial to pollinators and your garden as well but is also really beneficial and you are mm. really good for this for beauty products or for yeah. skincare products. Yeah, I love using calendula for um, like a lip balm that I mm-hmm. make. It's I use it every single day. Um, it's also good for, or for me, it's good for eczema. Mm-hmm. You just need to be really careful and do patch tests, obviously, when you're making your own at-home beauty products. Yeah. Um, but it's really great for that. It, the oils... Um, or you can infuse oil with it. So that's what I usually do with a lot of flowers. Mm-hmm. I'll either dry them or infuse coconut oil or um, olive, olive oil. oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And use those as well as um, drying them for like bath salts. Yes. Like I love good bath. Yeah. And or a bath bomb as well. Bath bombs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so they can add in a little bit of scent. Calendula does have a little bit of a scent, but I use it more for its medicinal properties, mm-hmm. which is kind of anti-inflammatory and, um, yep, yeah, just a really gentle flower, which I really, really like. Yeah. Yeah. I found that by mixing calendula and lavender flowers together, mm-hmm. I was able to bypass like the smell that it has because lavender is such a beautiful, soothing, calming kind of smell. Yeah. And we found that by putting it onto like irritated skin was really helpful. So mm-hmm. our dog had um, an allergic reaction to something out in the grass over winter time and mm-hmm. he was ripping his fur off and causing these awful um I don't know like just his skin looked terrible and it was, it was so like eczema itchy. for dogs really yeah and it was so intense and we mm. found just by putting that calendula and lavender salve on him not mm. only helped to calm his anxieties but could like you could yeah. see it soothe him he didn't have that urge to rip himself apart or lick it off um and you could see just like the stress ease in his eyes until again it all went into the skin and then he would start getting itchy again um but over time when we were putting it into his ears 
you could see it helping, which is really amazing. And um, there is so many flowers out there that can be used for medicinal purposes. It's something that I'm only starting to like expand my knowledge on and read up on weeds and plants that can be digested or used as tonics or on your skin um, or, or edible as well or edible too yeah. that can have benefits for like digestion yeah. can have benefits for like headaches for colds mm. um, yeah and experimenting through using them in tea as mm. well has been so much fun and you can learn so much about them and their beauty yeah, yeah. I really want to make with the bottle brush flowers that we have, mm. some bottle brush cordial. I think I said Ooh. this before in an episode or maybe not. Maybe it was on YouTube. But, yeah, you can just infuse them in water. And because there's so much nectar in them, granted, I don't know if there'll be any more with all the rain and the birds have been getting yeah, at well. them. But, yeah, you can just kind of infuse them in water and make like a sweet tea with wow. bottle brush flowers. That's yeah. so incredible. I'd like to try that. Yeah, yeah that's a great idea because you made a syrup like a – a syrup from nasturtium nasturtiums. flowers. Yeah, I have to be a little bit careful around here with nasturtiums, though, because they are more weedy. Mm. Like they're a little bit of a weed around here, so they we do have crazy. some down the back, yeah, that have just gone crazy, and they've they were here when we came. But uh, yeah, maybe some yeah. nasturtium syrup could be good again. Well, that's the so thing. By delicious. being able to take the flowers off and use them in other ways, you're preventing that flower from having more than it needs and spreading like a True. weed. Yeah. Same with nasturtium flowers. You can also get the seed pods while they're green mm-hmm. and use them, um, like grind them up into a paste that you can use in sushi. It's got yeah. a really nice floral taste and a bit of like that wasabi kick yeah, kind of bit peppery yeah. yeah which is really nice we started using the leaves of nasturtiums yeah. as opposed to lettuce and spinach as well so just get creative with flowers there's so many edible flowers out there even being able to take like the seed pods from radishes yeah you know letting them go Delicious. to that next stage yeah mm. and just being experimental with what you're eating because not only is it beautiful in your garden but it can be really beautiful in whatever food you're making yeah and really great for you as well mm-hmm. your health. yeah yeah even some little native flowers like native um i think they're native violets oh yeah. yes they're gorgeous they're really yeah. yeah and they're so little and dainty yeah yeah great for cake decoration yeah and they're mm. everywhere as well there's so many yeah. beautiful vines as well that are natives that just grow in mm. the forest and unless you take that moment to just stop and look you won't spot them yeah yeah, yeah. they're gorgeous well, I think we, we've we talked about so many different flowers here, but I feel like we should touch on just to wrap it up a little bit about our favorite flowers mm-hmm. or our favorite color flowers and maybe what we're going to be planting in the next season or so. Yeah, sounds Spring good. and summer. I think you yeah. should go first because <laughs> I, I need a bit more time to think of my favorite flowers. Like I said, I'm still so new to it and I'm more attracted to colors. So you go first. What are your favorite flowers? <laughs> Well, I have a lot. Like, I mean, I need to, every flower that I plant for the flower farm, like I'm loving. I suppose one of my favorite flowers that has been with me or just in my mind for a long time is when I lived up in Northern Australia. It's called a pinky wodia and it has a few different names and I'll put a photo up on on the screen of what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's the host plant to the Ulysses butterfly. So a lot of flowers are also host plants to butterflies, which is a pollinator that we didn't really touch on. But what does a host plant mean? Well, it basically means it's one of the sources of food or mm-hmm. the main source of food or habitat for a, an animal mm-hmm. or a um, butterfly or insect. 
Um, so the Ulysses butterfly, I think it also might lay its eggs on the plant as mm-hmm. well. So that's another. Um, Which would make sense because then yeah. as the little caterpillars hatch out, they have their food source right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot you can find a lot of host um, plants if you want to attract butterflies to the mm-hmm. garden. Um, often they'll be flower plants, but the flowers of this tree, they grow, kind of grow like on the um, on the trunks and on the branches rather than uh, kind of a single stem or something like that. Mm. So it looks like the whole tree is just like a pink fluffy tree and it just looks beautiful. So that's one of my favorites, but I also just love all of the bulbs that I've planted in the garden, yeah. like the ranunculus and the linaria, just all all of the like purple flowers I'm loving at the moment. Purple's such a great color in the it. garden, yeah. isn't it? And it must be because of like that purple green connection. I know purple and orange are opposites, yeah. but green is somewhere amongst there. It might be the yeah. cool color effect. I think so. I mean, green is my favorite color. Yeah. So I love purple with that. Um, there was some more that I wanted to say, but I can't remember. Dahlias? Flowers. Yeah, but I haven't really grown a lot of dahlias yet. Okay. I think... I mean, I also love roses. Like yeah. I have, I have a new love for roses. I absolutely love the plants. I think they're so pretty. Yeah. Just the plant itself, and I love the smell of roses. And they smell amazing. Yeah. So we'll go with those few. We've got a native, got a non-native. Yeah. We'll go with that. Few I mean, favorites. if you've got more, feel free to jump in. <laughs> um, I reckon some of my favorite flowers. Um, or the ones that I'm planting, I'm planting a lot of everlasting daisies, mostly in reds, pinks and whites, like a combination of that together. Um, and I'm planting a lot of them next to the bees. But alongside them, I'm also planting a lot of flowers that are quite tall. So like amaranth, um, mm-hmm. some more of my salvia flowers as well, because I know that they're going to be a favorite of the bees. And a lot of the things that I plant are for the bees. So yeah. nice. um, we've got a lot of lavender as well that I've been propagating. Native wise, I love banksia flowers. Yeah, I think they're, they're cool. so beautiful. Mm, I love them. Yeah. Before we came to our property, there was a Banksia tree right smack bang in the middle of the driveway. And unfortunately, I think through the droughts or the fires, um, it has died. Mm. But I think replanting another Banksia tree there would be so beautiful. Yeah. Um, they because, grow yeah. really well around South Coast. Yeah. So many they nice do. Ones. They yeah. love the soil. Um, and did you know that the flower, once it's dried, can you be used as a hairbrush? Oh, really? Yeah. It's really I can good. See that. Yeah. Should <laughs> Try that with the ones I've got. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So those are those are my picks. Cool. Well, we would love to know what your favorite flowers are yes. or what you're planting at the moment. Um, just yeah, if you share them on Instagram and tag yeah. us in it as well, we would love to see your yes. flower gardens and your homes. Love to see some photos. Yeah, Be cool. Mm-hmm. And with that, I guess we're going to wrap things up. Yes, it's been a good episode. Fun yes. little episode. Yeah. Uh, Make sure if you have enjoyed the episode, leave us a comment. Let us know what your favorite flowers are. Let us know what you're planting this year as well. Leave us a review as well. Spread out the word on our podcast. Let's grow this community together. Yeah. Thank you so much for watching and listening. And until our next one, see you later. Bye. Bye.